0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to our class on 1st and 2nd Peter. My name is Bob Lawrence, one of the Bible class teachers at the Anchorage Church of Christ, and I'm glad that you've chosen to join us. This week we turn to 1st Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And again this week, like last week, I'd like to bring you to the city of Pergamum. Now Pergamum is a city that is on the western coast of modern day Turkey, what was in the ancient times a part of uh, the, the country called Asia Minor, or the area that was called Asia Minor. And you'll remember that First Peter was written to five different regions that now encircles modern-day Turkey. Uh, you read about this in the very opening uh, sentences or opening passages of First Peter, where he says that he's writing to the churches that are in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, and then he swings around and says the churches of Asia and Bithynia. And within that region of Asia were, were several churches that will sound familiar, like the church in Ephesus. And you probably have heard of uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Well, in the same way, Peter wrote letters to many of these churches, and that's the letter that you have, First Peter. And one of the churches that likely received that letter was here in the ancient city of Pergamum. We talked a little bit about this city last week, but if you missed that, let me just introduce you to this ancient city that you can still visit today or at least climb up on the Acropolis and see the amazing sights in this city uh, and imagine what it was like to live in the glory days of this uh, incredible city that was a, uh, a powerful city under the Roman Empire. It was a city full of idols and full of temples, temples to the emperors and also temple to the gods that were worshipped in that period of time. In fact, uh, one of the temples in Pergamum was called the Temple of Zeus. In some cases, it was referred to as the throne of Satan. And we'll see that in one of the passages we read here in just a minute. But you can still visit the gates of that very temple today. It was actually picked up by archaeologists back in the 1800s and moved from Pergamum up to Berlin, Germany. And now you can actually go into the museum there in Berlin and see the gates of per- this Pergamum uh, altar and, and still visit a place that the, the very uh, people that lived in Pergamum uh, there in this first century, you can see what they saw. And at least to some extent uh, get an idea of what it was like to live there. There was an incredible theater there. And last week we visited the temple of Dionysus that sat just to the side of that theater. Well, the reason we bring up this city is because this city not only included, you know, the ancient culture that worshiped all of these uh, ancient gods and goddesses, uh, there was also a church here and it was it was a young church and a growing church. And they they were likely one of the churches that received this letter that was written by Peter. And remember the the whole point of Peter's letter is to say that if you choose to follow Christ in the midst of a culture that believes in very different things and other things, that culture is not going to understand you. Your neighbors will misunderstand you. Uh, They will malign you. Your culture will mistreat you and in some cases even persecute you. But Peter says, hang in there. Keep the faith. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that you undergo, but you hang on to Jesus because you have a reward that is more valuable. Your faith is more valuable than gold, Peter says. And within this city of Pergamum was a church that likely received that letter and heard that very message. In fact, we know uh, even the name of one of the people that likely lived here during that period of time. His name was Antipas. Let me show you where we find that. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, uh, John is receiving this uh, revelation of Uh, a message to these different churches in Asia. And one of the churches that he writes to and passes the message to is this church in Pergamum. And in Revelation 2.13, the message that's passed on is Jesus speaking to this church. And he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Remember that temple to Zeus was probably what he's referring to. Yet, he says, you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so there in Revelation chapter two, we hear about this church in Pergamum. It was a church that, just as Peter said, ended up being mistreated and misunderstood and maligned and even persecuted. And one of the Christians there was someone named Antipas who was martyred. He was even killed because of the faith. Now we don't know this from scripture, but tradition says that Antipas was actually one of the elders there. <clears throat> he was one of the shepherds, one of the, uh, the the leaders of the church and Antipas stood for the faith. He did not give up that faith and, and was persecuted. Even when they said, you must deny this faith uh, he did not do that. And and he ended up being killed. Tradition says that he was put into this bronze bull and they lit a fire under the, the bull and he was roasted inside that, uh, that brazen bull. And that's how he died. But he didn't give up the faith. And what's amazing, according to uh, Revelation 2, is the church did not give up their faith even though they saw what happened to Antipas. And so I think it's helpful to come to a place like Pergamum and to be able to hear this letter the way the very first hearers would have heard it read, to understand what they were facing. And then you'll be able to apply that even, even today. And that's what brings us to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 1. When Peter answers this question, what do you say to the elders of a church that's about to suffer persecution? If if Peter knew that some of these churches are going to face incredible mistreatment, and they would be misunderstood, and some cases driven out, in other cases uh, the Christians would be killed, if if Peter needed to send a message to the elders of that church, what what would he say? What would you say uh, if you if you knew that the elders of your congregation were about to have to lead the church? Through a very trying time, what would you tell them? How would you encourage them? And and here's Peter's answer to that. First Peter chapter five, uh, verse one through five. And if you have a Bible, read this along with me. Peter says, "So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ." Peter, remember, followed Christ for three years. Uh, you remember Jesus. Uh, selected Peter. Peter was one of those fishermen that Peter that excuse me that Jesus said, "Follow me. I will make you fishers of men." And Jesus taught them how to how to catch people. And so Peter uh, understood what it was like to follow Christ, and he followed Christ all the way through his death, and then his burial, and his resurrection. And it didn't stop there. Peter continues to follow Jesus the rest of his life, and this probably decades later. When Peter's writing and he says, I'm writing to you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, uh, the reward that is coming. And then here's his message to those elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, notice that Peter uses this word shepherd. Where did he get that? John tells us at the end of the Gospel of John that there was this encounter that Peter had with Jesus. After Jesus had died and been buried, he had risen from the dead, Jesus restores Peter. Because you remember, Peter is the the one disciple that denied Jesus three times. Even though he said, I will never deny you, he still denied Jesus. Uh, But after Jesus was risen from the dead, uh, there's a scene where Jesus appears on the shore uh, after a, a night of fishing and And they all share breakfast together there on the shore. And after breakfast, Jesus takes Peter aside and he speaks with him. And he asks Peter three times the same question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And there Jesus uses the term for love that is the deepest, most uh, 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 perfect form of love, which is called agape. But Peter looks back at him and says, Lord, you know that I love you. But the word that Peter uses for love is the word that we would use speaking of a friend. And so in essence, Jesus says, Peter, do you dearly love me? And Peter says, oh, Lord, you know, I'm your friend. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you truly, deeply love me? And Peter answers him, Lord, you you know, I'm your friend. And Jesus looks at him and says, tend my sheep. And then uh, Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Only this third time, Jesus uses the lesser form of the word love, and he basically says, Peter, are you really my friend? And Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. And we don't know if Peter was hurt because he, had, you know, Jesus had to ask him three times, or if he was hurt because Jesus switches the word, you know, at the end, and and doesn't use the word agape. But regardless, uh, Peter looks back at Jesus and says, Lord, you know all things, you know that I am, uh, I love you. I'm your friend. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, feed my sheep. And so three times there, Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's, He's telling Peter, you are to be a shepherd for these people that are mine. And that's exactly what Peter becomes. As you read through the book of Acts and you see what Peter does, Following Jesus' ascension into heaven, uh, Peter becomes the shepherd for the entire church. And uh, he's there on the day of Pentecost. He is the, the one who passes the gospel on to Cornelius and on to the Gentiles. Uh, he's the one who teaches Paul, uh, even after Paul is converted. And then, here, towards the end of his life, Peter is writing this letter as the shepherd that God made him to be. And he's writing that letter uh, to fellow shepherds. And that's what he calls the elders of the church. Those people who are designated as leaders of, of Jesus' church, even today, uh, are called elders, and sometimes we use this term shepherd because that's what a term is used here. And that's how Peter thought of the elders. They are to be shepherds. And listen to what he tells the shepherds that they are to do or how they are to do their work. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. So you look over, just like a shepherd, would sheep, you exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And here Peter uses a contrast. He says, don't, don't show oversight or don't exercise oversight because somebody's forcing you to do it. If you are an elder, if you are a shepherd, do it willingly. It's a, it's a voluntary act of service not for shameful gain. In other words, don't be a shepherd because of some financial gain that you have or some personal gain that you get from serving as an elder, but serve eagerly, be eager to do it, regardless of what the personal benefit is right now. And then third, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so notice how Peter uses these three different contrasts, if you will. He says, if, if you are a shepherd, then don't do it because you're forced to do it. Do it eagerly. Don't do it because of some personal gain. Do it because it is something that you want to do, not for a, a immediate benefit, but because you serve Christ. And then third, this contrast, if you serve as a shepherd, you, you are not a domineering leader. That's not the way Jesus taught us to serve. He says, you serve as, and did you catch this? as an example for the flock. And that's Peter's main message to those who serve as as elders in a church that is about to face persecution. He says, you as the shepherds are to be the example to the flock. And here's the the real reward. So when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so there you can almost imagine Peter imagining what it was like going back to that day on the shore after breakfast with Jesus when Jesus looks at him and says, Feed my lambs, tend the flock, feed my sheep. And Peter remembers that. And for the rest of his life, he will remember when Jesus told him, You are going to be the shepherd of my people. And he always thought of Jesus as the chief shepherd And here you hear Peter taking that baton and handing it to another generation and saying, you who are shepherds of God's flock, you be examples to the flock. So that when the chief shepherd, when Jesus appears, you'll receive this unfading crown of glory. You get get the reward. And so that's his message to the elders. But notice that he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, uh, here's the message for those of you who are younger. Now, the word elder actually means someone who follows Christ and uh, who has followed Christ for some time. The the word actually means a person who who is older. And so Peter also addresses those who are younger. Now, this might mean those who are younger in faith, but also those who are just younger in age. And notice what Peter says to them. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so to those who are younger, Peter uh, says, your job is to be subject to the elders. And you know what word he uses there? Do you remember what Peter said that, that Christians are to be as citizens? He says they are to voluntarily place themselves under the leadership of even the emperor at the time, or the governors, and and that was the word "hupotasso." They they voluntarily place themselves under the leadership of someone else, and that's how Christians are to behave as citizens. That's also how employees are to behave towards their employers to practice this uh, this this virtue of putting themselves voluntarily under the service of others. That's what wives do for husbands. That's what husbands do for wives, he says. And then he he says that's true for all of us. That's what all Christians do. They place themselves under uh, others. They practice humility. And that's the message Peter gives to the younger individuals in the church, Uh, to the elders To the shepherds he says you shepherd as examples for the flock and then to the rest to the younger ones he says you follow that example you voluntarily place yourself under the leadership of those who are following christ as your leaders and you practice humility because and this is where we end this week god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble next week we'll talk more of what does that mean when we place ourselves under and in service to each other but we put our hope in god and you'll see next week how that's where the church gets its its confidence but before we close let me take you back here to pergamum and just and just show you how that played out in pergamum so you'll remember that there was there was a man here named antipas and he was one of the elders of the church in pergamum it, we don't know for sure, but it's not unreasonable to imagine that Antipas was one of those who, as a younger man, actually read this letter that was written by Peter. And sometime in the following decades, Antipas ends up becoming, if he wasn't already, becoming one of the shepherds of the church in Pergamum. And he faced the very persecution that Peter wrote about. He faced the mistreatment and the misunderstanding and the malignment and and eventually, martyrdom when they took him uh, to his death because he would not deny Christ. But the whole time, there was this church of younger people that were watching. And Antipas did not give up in his faith. And he died a very fiery, a very painful death because of his conviction in the truth of, what, uh, of, of who God was and, and how he was changing the world through Jesus. He did not give up on that faith. And neither did those young people who followed him. And that's why John, again, several decades later, when he's writing out this message from Jesus to the churches, he records in Revelation 2 to that church. He compliments them. And he says, even though you live where Satan's throne is, where Satan dwelt, even though you live there, you did not give up the faith, even when they treated your shepherd Antipas, the way they did, and they killed him. You did not give up the faith. So you see what happened. A church there apparently put into practice the very thing that you read that Peter says here, where a shepherd, at least one, probably a group of shepherds, put into practice what Peter said, and even in the face of suffering, those shepherds led, not out of compulsion, not domineering, not for gain. They led by example. And the church followed. And that's the church that gets the compliment that you read in Revelation 2. Well, as we close this week, I'm going to leave a few questions on the screen just to get the conversation going. But I hope that you'll go back and read 1 Peter chapter 5, 1-5, through 5, and then bring that message to our church today. And think about our congregation and our elders. I hope that you'll take time to pray for our shepherds. That you'll take time to find how can we honor our Shepherds, and then all of us who are younger, who are under and place ourselves under the elders, what can we do to support and follow their example as we face in our culture and in our day and time the misunderstanding, the mistreatment, and the malignment that comes from choosing to follow Jesus? Well, that's the message for this week. May God bless the reading of His Word and now our discussion as we do our best to apply it in our day and time. I'll see you next week.